This week on the Ocean Cruises podcast, Andy is having a conversation with Kate and Ian from the YouTube sailing channel Follow Intrepid Bear. Kate and Ian are both from the UK and both had a career as police officers before they turned into full-time cruisers. They are currently in Montenegro and have been cruising the Mediterranean since the start of the 2022 season. Their journey started in the UK last year, they sailed across the Channel and then south to cross the Bay of Biscay, and due to the visa rules in Europe, they sailed straight across the Med to Greece. They are sailing in IAD 391, one of Europe's most capable blue water cruisers and making plans to either stay in the Met for a couple more seasons or head over to the Caribbean. If you want to follow Kate and Ian's journey, you can follow their YouTube channel, Follow Intrepid Bear. If you want to watch the full interviews, join our Patreon community and follow us on Instagram and Facebook to keep up to date. Right. When did you actually start planning on doing what you're doing now? When, when did the thought process pop up and when did you start putting things into action? Ooh, well, that, that's kind of uh, too different for both of us because I, um, I've been boating a lot longer than Kate. Um, and we weren't together back then. And we weren't together back then. And um, so I sort of started boating. My dad was in the Royal Navy and he was just sailed dinghies and I started dinghy sailing, small yacht. Then I joined the police and got on the Marine unit and I became a motorboater for a while, um, got mm. qualified up doing all that. And I ended up through divorcing my ex-wife, living on a um, motorboat, a twin screw. Is that or a house, wasn't it? Trawler yacht. Well, it was that or a small flat in Boston. <laughs> Yeah, so once I had the motorboat, I thought, well, one day I'm going to go and just cruise around the Med because I used to love going to different harbours and all this sort of thing. Um, and just going to new places on the boat was fantastic. So even on all my days off, I used to take this motorboat out and even on my own. And then um, met Kate online and she had travel plans in a, she was thinking of a camper van, but then her dad, well, you can tell your story in a minute, but her dad sailed the world on a 27-footer. Um, nice. And so converted her travel plans to boat travel plans and sort of went from there, really. Yeah. That's very cool. Together, uh, 10 years tomorrow since we first met. Yes. Um, so you've been together 10 years and you met online. So you were like yeah. some of the first pioneers of online dating. You were being brave and meeting <laughs> up with it, it, potential it, serial yeah. killers, you know. <laughs> Who knew what was online back then? I I, I tell you, Andy, I think you were, I think time's passing by quickly for you as well, because it was actually quite well established 10 years ago. Oh, who knows? Yeah, we weren't brand new even even 10 years ago. Time just goes, doesn't it? When we first met, we met online and we arranged our first date, which was for me to come, because I lived in sort of 90 miles away from me and and we lived in Poole. And we arranged for me to come down and spend a weekend with him on his boat. So all my family were like, you crazy? Like, you know, he's going to be a serial killer. And I was just in the fact that I was a police officer and he told me he was. So surely it'd be all right. You know, so I came down and spent, I mean, if he was going to kill me, we took me overboard, it was going to happen anyway. So yeah, I, I, I imagine if and... a police officer was going to be a serial killer, there'd be a really good one as well. It'd be incredible yeah. at hiding the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know how to keep out of the evidence trend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I decided not to. Yeah, she's yeah, still around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I divorced my ex husband and was you know, trying to decide what to do once I finished work, and um, yeah, I wanted to travel, 
because I didn't know anyone on boats other than the fact that my dad, when he left the army and he learned to sail in the army, he bought a 27 foot sailboat, set off from Plymouth with this, I remember him telling me about this newfangled GPS. <laughs> it's like early 90s yeah. when GPS is only becoming a thing. So they had like done all their navigation on charts and had got GPS and they set off, uh, went through the French canals, spent about 10 years in the Med, across the Atlantic and then spent time in the Caribbean. Um, they now live in property in Turkey because they've given up boat life and are sort of they're in the late seventies. So, so I kind of I remember following my dad's you know dream. He used to send us an email log of you know, everything he'd done, and he sort of wrote a little book for the family, which he sort of self-published. So I had his adventures in front of me, but I didn't know anyone in boats. So then when I met Ian, it sort of ah, you two came together. So all my boating wow. is just. 10 years of being on most boats and then sailing boats because we moved to sail because motoring's too expensive. Well, that's crazy. Like you did, you obviously had it in your DNA in a way. I mean, it's, you know, the, the interest to like explore, especially by sailboat is something which is like not quite common. Most people would think of traveling around the world in a plane, um, but you've I've obviously more, got it in you. I've been more scared in my boating life and I have in my professional life and I've been in some hairy <laughs> wow, situations okay. yeah, I bet, yeah. bad, badass <laughs> people with you know and I've had to draw taser and things on people I've been more scared because you're just on your own aren't you it's you the boats and your partner and and mother nature so um yeah and mother nature is the biggest badass yeah she's the biggest badass yeah but, so right you're you're both police well you, you were both police officers or you still are like what are you He's on like retired. a sabbatical? Right, okay. I'm on a sabbatical, so I can, yeah. if I want, go back to work in three years' time, or I yeah. can retire in three years' time. So, right, okay, retirement Very sounds short. a lot nicer than going back to work. Um, <laughs> yes. What, what What did you both do within the police? So I um, I did my full thirty year career, and I start. You, everyone starts off on the beat, or well, they did back then. Yeah. So I did eight years on the normal beat. Um, then I went on the Marine unit. This was my patrol boat, that mm. one there. Um, and I spent nine years on the Marine unit, I think, and luckily got qualified up with a load of RYA qualifications and stuff like that. And so I, I did a bit of teaching. Um, and then I left the Marine unit on promotion and I was a frontline supervisor for the remaining 15 years or something like that. So I was a sergeant. Uh, I just ran the patrol team. So if, you know, the, the, the team that go out and answer the 999 calls, I was responsible for running that team. On, on the water? No, no. I left. Uh, I was a, a PC on the water. Right. Uh, but then I got I got promoted back ashore. Um, there was various issues on the Marine unit because it was an expensive unit to have and the force was always threatening to close it down and what have you. So I actually got promoted back ashore and um, carried on the, the last 15 years of my career back on land. Interesting. What type of crime are you on the lookout for, like in Anchorages, or is it like, is it ports or like import exports? Weird no, stuff like no. is it more that? No, I used to um, I used to give talks to yacht clubs and that sort of thing, and I always say it's exactly like a, a police car on the water. People think right. it's drugs and all that sort of thing, but on the water you've got um, theft from boats, theft of boats. 
you've got speeding, you've got accidents, any fatalities on the water we investigated, any serious accidents we investigated. Mm -hmm. And if a boat's broken into, and um, people have had domestic disputes on boats before, some um, guys whacked his wife around the head with a frying pan and she jumped off and swam to the oh. nearby boat and we had to go and deal with that. So anything that happens on land, there's, there's a direct equivalent on water. All the drugs and that, that's customs and excise. I mean, obviously if we came across right. it. But yeah, it was just a patrol car on the water. Same stuff, really. Plus, you got to do fancy stuff like yeah, you get to get winched up. Yeah, yeah. Have good really fun. Really cool thing, but yeah. And how many of those boats are like patrolling UK waters? Well, it's it's quite sort of territorial. Each force does its own thing. So I was in Dorset mm. Police, and we had one of the big launches and a couple of ribs. Um, Devon and Cornwall only had one rib, but they have a dive team. Dorset didn't have a dive team. So um, territorial police forces, there's probably only five or six launches around the coast of the UK. But then you've got the okay. MOD police who've got their launches and you've got um, what they call now border force, obviously different thing again, but they're on patrol. Um, but yeah, police forces don't have an awful lot of marine presence, not like they do yeah. in America. So. Yeah, yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Like the extent we have to go to as countries just to stop like criminals and bad people from doing stupid shit. Like, why can't yeah, everybody yeah. just behave? The world's such an easier place. Kate, what, what did you do in the police? I did 14 years, well, my whole my service was 14 years because I um different background. I was frontline police the whole time, so 24 mm. 7 response policing. So it's hard work. Uh, before that, I was. I worked yeah. in the law. I was a, a paralegal, did my law degree and um, was a, a claims handler and, a, and a, a, a lawyer, really, for 15 yeah. years or so. Just so I understand, like, when you join the police and, you you know, you work in, like, on the street or at events or, you know, investigations or whatever, is, is there a certain process you go through? Like, do you start off at one thing and then is there a step path or can you choose to do certain things or like, you know, civil protection or something like that? Like, or so you, everyone joins get as a, Yeah, you join as a response PC and you do two years front line. So that's responding to 999 calls and dealing with, you know, crime, you know, rape, theft, murder, all those things that you, know, you go mm. to. And then once you've completed your two years and you're signed off as competent um, as police officer, then you can apply to specialise, be that into CID so, you know, or um, well, even helicopters, traffic, traffic helicopter dogs, dogs, mm. you know, search teams. There's, there are so many jobs in the police, and that might be close protection because you can apply to do that. You know, obviously, most of the bodyguards of the royal family are close protection police officers. So all those things you yeah. can apply for once you've done your two years. So yeah, it's a varied many many jobs you can do in the police and boating is more dangerous than police work <laughs> yeah i mean because say, yeah. you know that you've got your mates on the end of a radio so yes you could be yeah good boat, point yeah. Scared, but... i don't know if it is actually more dangerous but you were no. more, more scared by boating than police work yeah i think actually mm. boating is probably safer but i, I don't know i have been like <laughs> i've been terrified i've been in some really scary situations at work but they've not lasted for so long. Yes. I mean, and, yeah, good you know, point. There's backup yeah. coming, and uh, that if you can get, you know, just hold your own, then help will be on its way. Whereas I think mm -hmm. for me, one of the biggest things I've learned 
or challenges I had to overcome in boating. So if you're on a really big sea or having a really rough, scary passage, you just have to suck it up, don't you? You have to keep, you can't just pull over outside the road and go, I'm going to have a rest. You just got to keep going with it. So it's a different kind yeah. of fear, but it's kind <clears> of like, it's just you and, and nobody's going to come and, and rescue you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously not going to be the same in every situation, but to a certain extent, if you're in a situation, you're a police officer, it's like you, there is an element of control that you do have or can have, or you can get access to quite quickly, you know, if you're in the right type of situation. Whereas, yeah, if you're out there and it's getting a bit hairy, like you are not in control at all. Like there is, there is nothing you can do to help yourself other than just like mitigate risks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that, that storm in Corsica, you know, the videos of that storm. Oh yeah, that was wild. What, what could you do? There was, you know, just that kind of thing that Mother Nature could throw that in your face at a moment's notice. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's quite scary to think of things like that because... There's nothing. I mean, if you're in an anchorage and that hits, even if your anchor holds, other boats can get swept onto you and that sort of thing. So that's always a big worry. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've, like, I watched quite a few videos of that and it it just looked insane. It was just like this yeah. wall of like 50 knots that just started moving towards yeah. the boat. Yeah, came in so like, quick. Yeah. yeah, like I've been anchored up in 40 knots and like I've held no problem. I've, I've just had a lot of chain out, but... 50 knots and then some people were like in crowded anchorages it's like you can't rely on everyone to anchor pro- especially in the med like very few people actually anchor properly yeah. <laughs> so like yeah I would, I would hate to be you know like at the on the windward side of like everyone else's boat in like 50 yeah. knot gusts yeah. like, well, we, had a, we, we had a little 30 a knot squall here uh, 30 knot squall here a couple of nights ago and there's a cat ran next to us just mm. disappeared just off towards the rocks i had to blow our horn to try and get them to come up on deck but if they'd have been upwind of us, they'd have been on you, wouldn't they? And that's that's what you can't odds to a certain extent. Yeah. You're stuck with that. Yeah. It's our yeah. first med charter season as well, watching all the charter boats trying to anchor and sitting there going. It's very <laughs> entertaining. Possibly. Three meters of chain, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Like we I remember when we were I think we were in Mallorca. Anyway, one of the ballerics, I can't remember which one it was, and like if, if a charter boat comes and pulls up or like a day trip boat at the side, I just dive on their anchor straight away just to see like how they actually anchored. And like there was a catamaran pulled up at the side of us last year and it was like, you know, a 40 foot lagoon or something. I'd like 30 people on it, like completely illegal charter without a shadow of a doubt. And um, I dove down and like he probably had, it was in, we were in about three and a half meters of water and I think he had about five meters of chain out. Like, yeah. It, there wasn't that much wind, but as the boat was moving up and down, it was just picking up the anchor and like pulling the anchor along. <laughs> I popped up, I was like, how much anchor chain have you got out? And he was just like, oh, like 20, 30 meters. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think they even counted. But yeah, you have, you have to be uh, you have to be careful. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kate used to call me when we were in, particularly in Lacquer on Paxos. Be like three o'clock in the afternoon. She come on, come on, anchor TV starting. <laughs> anchor <laughs> TV starting. <laughs> sit on deck and watch it all, partly to keep yeah. your own boat safe, but partly for the entertainment. So if they drop that little dark kitchen fork called an anchor, drop about five meters of chain, and reverse at four top knots, four knots backwards, and hope that it's going to hold. Yeah, it's crazy. Like so, you know, I think like I think the bare boat charters where you get people who are managing the boats are probably better than some of the charter skippers actually, because they probably fear losing a deposit or 
I mean, I'm not saying generally, I just imagine so. But like a lot of the charter skippers that I've like been in anchorages with are just absolutely horrendous. And you see videos online of like charter companies in the meds and obviously their charter skippers are just like destroying their boats, you know, like taking yeah. them into a berth and just like reversing the boat straight into key walls and stuff. And it's like, you do see some pretty crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's passive, you know, the, for you guys, when you turn up in a bay, you, you're securing your home and everything you own. They're just securing a bunch of pissheads getting drunk for like four hours, but they don't give a shit. So yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Completely different. Definitely. That's true. What conversations and like what process did you go through to get you to the point where you were like, right, let's start looking to buy a boat to live on? Um, well, I already had a boat. I, I, I bought a boat um, how many years before I met you? Four, five. For about five years before I met Kate, I was already living on a boat. Mm. Um, so I think we'd been dating for four or five years. We commuted, didn't we? Yeah, we had a long distance relationship because my boat was in pool. Kate was in Western Supermare. Then we started talking about living together. And there was a brief conversation where we sort of assumed Kate would come to pool. But one day she resisted and said, well, you could move to Western Supermare. And I just said, have you seen the colour of your water? And she was like, oh, okay. Then yeah. Because uh, it's all brown, brown mud in the Bristol Channel, as you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was kind of the natural progression to living together when you've been dating for quite a long time. But obviously, I already lived on a boat. You never lived in a house time, I knew, so I couldn't imagine. No, Kate's never known me living in a house. So, um, yeah, right. so she came and lived on the boat. And I think we were, because I already had the plan when I retired to go cruising, sailing, um, we decided that initially... I'd wait for three years for Kate to retire and I'd just beetle around doing a bit of boat work and that sort of stuff because mm. uh, I was qualified as an instructor and delivery skipper and that sort of thing for motorboats. But then I realised that I could afford to cruise on my pension. Then I could afford to cruise with Kate on my pension. So life's too short. Let's just get out there. So she took the um, career break. We sort of went backwards and forwards on different boats. We bought a 60-foot aluminium catch after the motorboat thinking my thinking was I wanted a sailboat that could go as fast as my motorboat which was a slow motorboat but it did eight knots which as a mm. sailor that's that's you know awesome isn't it yeah. um yes yeah, so we bought this 60 foot aluminium catch but she was 1984 she was too much for us massive draft she draw two and a half meters and and just aging and you know bits breaking was too expensive so we sold that um we almost went back to motorboating uh, but, and I'm not going to be political, but Brexit stopped us because we couldn't afford the fuel to do the 90 in, 90 out thing. Um, oh, yeah, good point. So, so we couldn't, mm. you know, to do, if, if it wasn't for Brexit, like I say, I don't put any, I never never put my political view on Brexit, but if it wasn't for Brexit, we could have had a motorboat and just gone 100 miles each month through Europe. And, you know, taking our time and each month when the new pension check comes in, put a little bit more fuel in. Uh, but because yeah. we knew we'd have to be out every 90 days and the distances involved in that, there was no way we could afford to do that on a motorboat. So that steered us back towards sail. And um, plus the fact that maybe we will cross oceans one day, who knows? Uh, then, mm. we, yeah. So then we found the NIAD. And yeah, in terms of conversations, back to the question, what conversations did we have? It kind of just evolved, didn't it? Because I was going to do it anyway. Yeah. And you were going to do your traveling by land anyway. 
so the two saw the opportunity of... to kind of <coughs> maybe to yeah, follow my together. dad's footsteps to a certain extent because I was yeah. with someone who was qualified and knew that everything I I didn't know. I think it, I can't imagine how we would have done it if neither of us had been into boats. That's you know, and we meet people who've been inspired by YouTubers and bought a boat like Jade with Jaden Brin from Chasing Currents, with friends of ours to just know nothing and start off. I can't imagine that leap of faith. For me, Ian had all the qualifications and experience and I could just trust him. And you know, That was a mistake, wasn't it? <laughs> I think you're human, you made mistakes, but then, you know, I, you know, I just put my faith in him and I just you know, learned at my own pace and learned as we've gone on. So, yeah, it was just, mm. it, it made sense. He had the boat, he had the experience. We both had a dream to travel. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's how it works out. I mean, it's it, you, I think you'd have to be pretty silly to assume that like couples just always come to the same ideas independently and then they just come together and they always want to do the same thing. Like there's always one person like spearheading one idea or, you know, like leading something new and then the other person's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give that a try. Like every time I leave the house, it's because my wife has convinced me. Um, you know, I'd just rather stay here and, and do work. <laughs> it's, not, it's not always like both of us agreeing on the same ideas. Um, yeah. That's really cool. I tell you what, just while you mentioned the Brexit thing, that's interesting because like, I get loads of people messaging me, asking me about this type of stuff. Disgruntled Brits uh, usually asking like, you know, what do we do now? I'm like, the same as everyone else, man, the same as everyone else. Um, so we're, So you've got the... You've got the 90-day thing, which is like your um, visa. Well, not necessarily a visa because it's not, but your permission yeah, to waiver, physically. Yeah. yeah, so you've got your permission to physically stay, as in the two of you in Europe, for 90 days, and then you have to leave for 90 days. Yes. And the boat has to check out every 180 days, is it? Because if you've got UK... 18 months. 18 Oh, 18 months, right. Okay. So you've yeah, got UK VAT paid on your boat. You haven't got Europe yeah, yeah. VAT. Yeah. That's so you know, that one I, I get the visa one because like, you know, we're basically the same as an American or a Canadian or an Australian or an Indian or whatever now. That's fine. But like that VAT thing, like that was a rip off that. Like they that was an absolute con job. But it doesn't present a real problem for us with the UK VAT paid unless we chose to get residency in, in Europe. Then we'd have to pay EU VAT immediately because mm. the boat only has to leave for a day. So you can, if you're, if you're in Spain, you can pop, pop across to Bolivia no, or Mike, um, and you know, check out for a day or go to Turkey for a day and reset yeah. your VAT clock. So it's, it's not difficult in my mind for the boat. It's just that if we... If we wanted to sell the bear, we'd have to either pay 20% or reduce the price by the EU VAT, or we'd have to sell it back to the UK. Yeah, because yeah. if, if we if if we sell this boat even to a Brit down here, it will lose its UK VAT paid status as well as the EU VAT paid status. It can only keep its UK yeah. VAT paid status if we bring it back. Mm. And even that was only a recent change. There was this weird thing that if we went away for three years, we were supposed to pay VAT when we bought the, brought the boat back to the UK on our own boat. Uh, but they've yeah. recently rescind, rescinded that. But it's still only relevant if we bring it back. So if we sell it in the Med, somebody has to pay VAT. We're not selling down here, but if we, you know, that's 
something that's always a, an issue if we wanted to change boats. That's nuts. Like, that's just very strange to me. I don't, I don't get where the company... You know what I mean? It's like if you have a watch and you bought the watch in England and then you sell the watch to somebody in, like, Spain, like, yeah. you, do you have to pay VAT on it again because it's in a different country? Like, I don't know. It's yeah. quite strange. But anyway, so you guys have to leave the EU every 90 days. And, like, yeah. what spots have you figured out? Because you've cruised all the way through the Med now. Uh, well, near enough. I mean, I haven't got my Middle East side of the net, I suppose. But, like, what spots did you pick up along the way to, like, hang out and spend those 90 days that are not in EU territory? You want to tell a story? Well, um, it's not been a choice, really. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of fallen into the spots. But um, we're in Montenegro at the moment because we've done our three months in Greece. And if yeah. you have a marina contract in Montenegro, then you can extend your residency or you can get temporary residency. The other place you can easily get temporary residency is Turkey. Yeah. Um, Croatia is a reasonable place as well, but they're probably going in Schengen next year. So um, it's there's not that Gibraltar. many places. Yeah. Gibraltar is, you could if you can find space, you can spend three months in Gibraltar. But we couldn't get space in Gibraltar the first winter, which messed us up, which is why we had to cross the whole med earlier this season with no Schengen time left, so we couldn't go ashore. Um, right. And then, of course, there's Tunisia. We haven't investigated that yet. We haven't been to Tunisia. Lots of people go to Tunisia to get out. Cyprus um, is not Schengen, but it does have its own 90-day thing. So if we wintered in Cyprus, it's a separate 90 days to Europe, Schengen, but we could only actually still st only stay there for 90 days. So it's very difficult. It is quite a challenge, actually. Say so even Montenegro, you can only stay for 90 days, but they do do this temporary residency thing. Because obviously, mm -hmm. ninety days is not enough to escape the winter in the Med. You need somewhere yeah. safe for longer than that. It's it's been it's been a nightmare for us, really. So we did a whole series of videos about called between the rock and the hard place between leaving Gibraltar and Montenegro and not going ashore in all that time. Kate didn't get off the boat for twenty eight days, and I only stepped ashore yeah, yeah. a couple of couple of fuel docks. All because of um, so. yeah Schengen, because we had no Schengen time, and that's yeah. Difficult. Yeah, the I other way you did thing. that trip and you were you were posting it in the groups and I was like, <coughs> to be honest, it's actually a trip that I wouldn't mind doing. I think that would be great just to like sail straight across the Med because it's probably like one of the most challenging seas to cross actually in yeah. terms of like yeah. the different yeah. weather systems and like yeah, I've got trade winds. You've just got like different winds everywhere. Um, so it actually yeah. would have been pretty yeah. challenging. But then if I had to do it, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. I'd only enjoy it if it was by choice. I think doing it and being able to go ashore and pop in a marina and that sort of thing is is one thing, but not uh, doing it at that time of year as well. It was a bit early in the season, mm. uh, so it was yeah, it was, it was challenging. But uh, yeah. I mean, talking about the the Brexit type of stuff and the Schengen thing, we've also come across various anomalies where friends have checked into various places and the authorities have said, "Oh no, if you're on a boat, we don't stamp your passport. You're in transit." which has actually got no sort of legal basis. But some of the yeah. authorities are trying to keep the sailors there for longer to spend more money. And, and so some of our friends, I think, tried to check into Ibiza and were told, no, it's fine. As long as you stay within 10 kilometres of the boat and you stay on the boat each <coughs> night, then we don't stamp you in, which, you know, that's great. But it's great. I don't know it's great. Which, but it'd be useful if you could, because, I mean, if you get the wrong... the wrong Yeah, if you um, could tell official, people that. Official, 
I mean, we we checked into Corfu and people said that Corfu weren't stamping people in, weren't stamping sailors in. Mm. We checked into Corfu and we had a right grumpy guy who was almost not going to let us in because we'd been in Portugal for five months. And I had to really explain to him, look, but that doesn't matter. We've been out for three. And he really was yeah. like, mm, and stomped off and left his junior to stamp our passports. He thought he'd caught us out and he hadn't. But uh, yes, yeah. it's different, different officials, different days, different places. Yeah, you can't rely on it enough yeah. to make your plans. So. Yes. Yeah, and you know, that's like, I, I hate rules for the sake of rules' sake. Like, if, if, you, if you're going to put a rule on my life and stop me from doing what I want to do, like, it needs to be very useful, but it needs to help everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it needs to be a good purpose for a rule yeah. or a law. And, like, when they're not being followed properly and then people are interpreting them all differently. And then sometimes it just doesn't matter. It's just like, yeah, Oh, yeah. I'm just getting rid of these things. Well, what are we even doing here? But yeah, it's very much dependent on who you get when you check in. Like I've, I've had conversations with loads of people now and they're just like, Oh yeah, we went there and it wasn't an issue. They just told us we didn't even need to check in. I'm like, yeah. well, that is like explicitly against EU law. So what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as Brits, I may be as law enforcement. We're like, we want to know what the rules are. <laughs> yeah. We are rule we're rule followers and we'll follow the rules, you know, even if it means that we have to do that mammoth passage. Yeah, you know, tell us the rules and we'll stick to them. If the rules are like, well, so we went to a went to a cocktail bar in Naxos and it had a sign saying um, happy hour. I'm like, oh, mm. it was about eight, nine o'clock in the evening, said, Oh, yeah, you know, maybe it's a bit late. So said, what time is cocktail is happy hour? And he was like, well, what's his words? It may be now, maybe later, maybe all night. Pretty much all night. Like, <laughs> okay, that's fine. I love how you're. I love how you're equating Schengen to happy hour. Yeah. No, you know what? I think they'll change the rules on this. I, I really do because it's like it doesn't benefit. Uh, the European Union in any way to just like forcibly move on tourists that want to pay money and stay yeah. there. Like, you know, an American family that is coming to Greece and they want to stay for five months, like let them, like, what is the point? There's, there's no security risks there. Or they just go and spend all the cash in Montenegro. No, come on. Like just yeah. put a bit of yeah. sense in here. It's that it's better for your economy. They just need um, to, introduce i don't mind applying for a visa and i don't mind yeah. 90 days in each country but 90 days the block is so big now yeah um, you know i know we brits brought it on ourselves to a certain extent and that's so we don't get a lot of sympathy but actually it's made us realize that it is a bit daft for everybody yeah oh the entire even, world is in the same situation it's only you can't people even apply for yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i have heard rumor from uh from a quite reliable source that Greece are in advanced stages of putting together a six-month visa. Uh, so right. yeah, I think you say I think things will change. I think um, certainly on the Spanish Atlantic Spanish coast, the individual governments or regions there are looking at things as well because they're losing so much money. Because if mm. second three, homeowners as well, yeah, second homeowners aren't spending the time, and these people have got yeah. money to spend. They're financially independent. They've got if you've got health insurance, you're not taking anything out of the economy, then they want to find ways to let you be there and spend your money. You know, it's interesting. It's like it's obviously an inconvenience to a lot of people, but I like when British people start whinging about the effects of Brexit, I'm like, 
mate, literally the entire world other than people from like 27 countries is in that same situation. So like, we're not yeah. going to get any sympathy yeah. from anyone over this. Do you know what I mean? We oh, had no, it easy all, for a no. while, yeah. but it, it was, yeah. you know, it was clearly half the country didn't think that way. They thought a different way and that's the way it goes. But like, it's highlighted yeah. to me how silly the system is in a way. Like, hang on, you've got people that do want to come to the EU and spend loads of cash and travel and learn about the history and the culture of all these countries, but you are not giving them any methods to stay longer than three months. Yeah. That's really stupid. Like, mm. It's we such a massive a place as well. <laughs> yeah. We met quite a few Aussie, Aussies and Kiwis here in Montenegro yeah. in May. Still there. Yeah, yeah. Still yeah. And, um, you know, some of those countries have bilateral agreements with yeah. various member states, but they said to us, they would turn up at whichever country they had a maybe a six month bilateral agreement with, and they struggled to make them understand or have the, the officials accept it. And it was so difficult mm. for them to get that used, they just end up reverting back to Schengen. So you know, even countries who have those things aren't finding it easy to use. It's again another example of different officials in different countries applying rules very differently. It's, what brought you to like the NIAD 391? Like, what made you pick that boat? Because you, you've picked probably something that isn't a Mediterranean cruising boat, but definitely more of like an offshore sailor in a way. Um, so you picked a boat for crossing oceans, I'd say. So what, what brought you to that decision? Um, yeah, we, we, we were looking at um, what you would call more Mediterranean boats. We were quite set on the Geno 42 DS. Um, yeah. and, we cruised on here for uh, holiday, didn't we? No, that was a 42i, but yeah. the deck saloon one uh, we really liked because we one of the things we did want was like a, a walk around or a bed that we could both get out the bottom of. We're not too keen on climbing over each other. It's only fun for a yeah. week. Um, and I think we were we were close to buying a Genoa, and then we went on board a Melo 36, and it was just so solid, and the woodwork was so nice. We just mm. fell in love with Swedish boats then. And so then we looked, but the Melo was just a little bit too small. And we looked around and we found the Nyad and we just about managed to get squeeze it within our budget. We just fell in love with it. And we just, yeah, we just fell in love with it. And um, I mean, we don't have the walk around bed. I have to kind of climb out the top of the bed with swing my leg over Kate's head. So I don't quite climb over her. <laughs> she doesn't want to look up at the wrong moment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to yawn at the wrong moment. Like, oh, okay. No, that's right. But, but, but you're right. She's not a Mediterranean cruiser. Um, she, because the glass windscreen is fantastic at night in a colder climate. Um, mm. Put a little bit of Rain-X on that glass windscreen and you can actually see through it as opposed to most boat spray hoods with their plas crinkly plastic that you can't see through at all at night. So yep. she's fantastic for that. For med cruising, the cockpit's a little bit small. Um, and the glass can get a bit hot, but we we have you know we were we're not sure about oceans. In, in the beginning, we were going to definitely cross oceans, so we did want an ocean cruising boat. And now we're kind of we don't know. We're really not sure about whether we're going to do an ocean or not, or spend more time in the med, or maybe go somewhere a little bit cooler. Um, but that's how we ended up at the boat. But we do recognise that if you were to spend your whole time in the med, she probably isn't the best boat for that. Um, because, like I say, the cockpit's a lot smaller than some of your, you know, Bavarias and Benetos and Genos with their open half cockpit and a wheel on either side. So whenever we yeah. sort of stop, we take the we take the wheel off and just put it out of the way because it sort of blocks up yeah. the cockpit a bit. 
but the sol- solid feel of her and the steadiness in a heavy sea. And year-round living, I think, because although it's, it's a solid wood and you know, we've lived, we don't have a house. This is everything we have. So in the winter, it's nice and cosy and she feels... Yeah. So she's always felt solid and homely, not dark or anything like that. So she's, in terms of for a home on the water, yes. I think she went hands down on any sort of production plastic boat. Yeah, like the quality, that, like the extent to which those things are built is... They're just fantastic. They're so good. Um, they're just so good at sailing. They're so strong. They're so well built inside. There's so much practicality to the way they've been designed, uh, like sailability. Like they're just they're just so so good. Um, but yeah, like you should cross oceans because you brought you bought a boat that's like specifically yeah, that's right. designed to do that. <laughs> yeah, and, and we might, we yeah. might, yeah. Uh, or we might, yeah. yeah, we might go up to. I mean, she's great in. I've sort of never been on a abduction boat like that in sort of big seas, but we've seen in other videos of sort of the creaking and it was, she's so quiet down below. She's so solid, you know. I've, you do feel safe in her. So even if we may not cross oceans, but we've been in some big seas uh, in the med in March and things, and she's always felt safe. I would have no hesitation. She's definitely built for oceans. Yeah, yeah. It's just solid built inside. I mean, like I've crossed oceans on, you know, smaller lightweight boats, like, you know, coast, coastal cruises, for example. And it's like, God, every time you hit a wave, like, you know, you feel it just rattle through your body and the whole boat just turns into like this massive echo chamber. And there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's it, I'm not saying that you can't do it. You definitely can. Like there's so many lightweight production boats across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, Pacific every year, but it's just the level of comfort that you have. And like, you could cross an ocean and probably get a good amount of decent sleep on that thing. Whereas if you're on a more lightweight Beneteau or Geno, you would probably not. <laughs> You'd struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a bit more seasickness. Yeah. Yeah. So when when you started off the the journey of like heading into the Med, did you have like a rough plan of like how long you wanted to stay, which countries you wanted to visit? Uh, I think we did. But it's now completely different. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So, how has it changed? Like, what did you originally want to do, and then is it changed because of the sailing or the visa situation? Things like, how has it worked out different? I think um, the the visa situation is definitely. I mean, we've made mistakes. We've gone too far, too fast. Mm. Um, we were going to zoom across the Med and winter in Cyprus or Turkey. Um, but we've just been zooming too much, partly because we've put targets on ourselves and partly because of the Schengen thing. So, yep. you know, we, we had a target this year of getting to Greece for our wedding anniversary because we got married in on Paxos on a chartered bare boat charter. So it was nice to get back for our fifth anniversary, but we had that as a target. And then we agreed to meet family over in Naxos because we thought we thought we were heading over to the um, east so that was a target. And the gap between those two targets was only a few weeks, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. And then after Naxos um, in mid-August, we only then had about three weeks of Schengen time left. If we mm. had no limit, we could have done both those things and then had a lot of time afterwards to gently bimble on to Turkey or whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's what we were going to do. And we were, we were going to sort of try and go out to Turkey or Cyprus and then back in. I see my dad in Turkey, but he's not there. So part yeah. of our reason for turning around was my dad lives 
in a little village not far from Marmaris and we considered this marina there. We considered wintering there and spending more time with my dad. Um, but he's back in the UK having quite major surgery at the moment. So we would have been there with no real, not knowing anybody and it's quite a small place. So we knew quite, we loved Montenegro when we were here before. Um, we knew we've got a fantastic liverboard and winter community, although it's, it's chilly here. They've got a ski chalet for liverboards and all sorts of you know, good benefits. So we just decided to turn around and hop put it back. And so we could start next season yeah. central and decide from there where to go. But yeah, our mistakes definitely too far, too fast. Yeah, we've gone too far, too fast. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we we also, you learn as you go, don't you? We didn't enjoy the real heat of the summer as much as we had hoped we would um, because mm. we really enjoyed going for a walk, going for a hike, going, you know, challenging ourselves, walking up a hill or up. There's a, there's a fortress round in Kotor, which is 1,500 steps. We did that back in the spring. But in 35 degrees, you can't do that sort of thing. You can either jump in the water or you can lie lie on deck. There's not much you can, or we can't anyway, we find ourselves too hot for that. So we're we're kind of not sure about actually the full-on heat in the med summer, which I never thought I'd say because I've always been crying out for the warmth after British British winters and summers. You know, you never know when the summer's going to start. But actually, over it's here, British it's British condition. You complain in the winter yeah. when it's not warm, yeah, and you complain right. in the you... summer when it's not cold. Yeah. <laughs> so for us, that's another thing which we're now thinking about whether we do head a bit further north and go back to Galicia and that sort of thing. But as I say, we thought we'd come back more central, where we where we know there's going to be a real winter community here in Montenegro because we already know yeah. of eight Brit boats that are going to be here, and there'll be any number more Fair and, well, and other nationalities. Yes, Sailing Fair Isle are coming up here. Oh, they come, are they um, going back to Montenegro? They're wintering in Montenegro, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Oh, nice. We're connected with them and some others. So, so we've nice. got, you know, like I say, there's a minimum of eight boats that we already know of. Uh, one boat we've already met several times, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we thought we'd put ourselves more central and really have a think through the winter what we've yeah. learned this year, think about it and decide what we want to do next year once we've sort of settled down a bit, because as I say, we've been rushing too much. So it was like, right, stop, well, Montenegro, winter, sort it out from there. Um, yeah. Because if we if we did it again, we would we probably wouldn't have left the Ionian. We'd have got to Greece and we'd have stayed in the Ionian and then popped back up to Montenegro after the three months we were up, trying to rush the whole way across Greece. We just pushed ourselves too far, too fast, and we're a bit worn out, to be honest. I tell you what, I bet Montenegro is just having like a sudden influx of British people and marinas that they yeah, never had before. Bet they are, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, nobody yeah. ever went yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, well, we wouldn't have done if it wasn't for Schengen. Would yeah. we? They put a new pontoon in the marina. They've like we've had emails from the marina saying, "Are you definitely coming? Are you definitely coming?" Yeah, they've got so much demand. You're full up. If you're not coming, mm. please let us know because we need your space. So. Yeah, and Croatia's going to Schengen from January, aren't they? So I don't know if that's Probably, changed yeah. anyone's plans because. Yeah, there aren't many outs left. So, Montenegro looks like quite quite a cool place. I mean, I never even took it seriously as a country uh, up until like Brexit, because then everyone started talking about it. Yeah. And I was like, oh right, okay. You know, I just thought, oh, it sounds like kind of French. Maybe a Bond villain lives there, or you know, like some assassin <laughs> yeah. or something. It's like sounds like I, that I type think of Bond place. Villains do live here. Bond villains definitely. They probably do. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those places that you imagine, like lots of Russian super yachts with, you know, weapons and um, 
you know, rockets on board. Like it kind of struck me as that. But yeah, apparently it's quite a nice place yeah. to cruise as well. It so. is really nice. Yeah. Actually. It's really nice. Yeah. This we we set it's Anchorage sort of it's so protective once you get in from the Adriatic. We've slept so well where the months we were here having cost a bed, which is it's pretty much it's always somewhere flat and it's good holding and we've slept so well. It's, yeah, it's, the two bays at the top, um Tivat and Kotor bays are almost like a field. So you can find shelter in there in any weather. So that's really yeah. nice. And there are some, yeah, there are some yeah. really big super yachts here to say. But the, the marina are as friendly and responsive to cruisers like ourselves as they are to the you know, super yachts. And the, you know, yeah. the winter facilities we've been told about are accessible to us as much as the crew, the full-time crew who live at Black Pearl is permanently here and she's still got crew on, but you know, they have sort of crew facilities for them, but we're able to use them as well. So you know, it's a real, real plus. Nice. Like you put all your um, travel videos on, on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Um, like what brought this upon? Two incredibly extrovert police officers all of a sudden start sailing around the Mediterranean, like putting it all on YouTube. It's definitely out there. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's well, different from what else. I mean, it's on. funny. It's funny you say that because actually we're not extroverts, we're introverts. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but but yeah, I, I, why did we start YouTube? I mean... We've watched so many channels and we kind yeah. of, not that we ever thought we'd make a living from it. And also to, so everyone says it, but it's to record our adventures because I love taking photographs and pictures, but you never look back to them, do you? And it's, it was something to share with our family who actually don't watch them at all. Well, I think your mum does, but <laughs> <laughs> your family don't. So it started off as that, wasn't it, a way to, to do it. And you thought you could, you could make the videos. Yeah. And, and it sort of grew a bit. And it's, it's a weird thing is that you, you're only doing it for yourself. But you really care how many likes you get. It's almost like, why do I care? And but yeah. but you do. Uh, but also now we're getting close to a little bit of monetization. We're not there yet. But it'd be nice to be self-funding because I've already crashed one drone, so that's five hundred pound in the sea in four minutes. Yeah, those things are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'll ever make a profit. But it'd be nice to be a bit of a self-funding hobby because um, yeah, you know, the, Go, the GoPro won't last forever. The laptop that I had to buy to do the ed- editing is was has to be quite a powerful one. It won't last forever, so just a, a few, a little bit of ad revenue would be really nice, just to make it a self-supporting hobby. Really, we don't plan or expect to ever make a living from it, and we're lucky that we don't have to because we do have my pension, which is just about enough. When Kate gets hers, although it'll be smaller than mine, put the two together, we'll be just about breaking even nicely. Yeah. I don't think pensions will even exist by the time I get to pension age. That's why I've got no interest. My mum's always saying, oh, you should like send some, um, who do you have to pay? I haven't lived in the UK for like a long, long time since I was like 19. Uh, I think it's like national insurance. She's like, oh, you should pay national insurance. So you'll get a pension when you turn like 67 or 68. I was like, the age of that will literally be like 200 by the time I'm in my 80s. Yeah, so yeah, I'm true, not yeah. even thinking about it at all. Forget it. I think the concept yeah. will be gone. Okay, we've like putting the videos on there and stuff. Like, I um, I, I always always saw it as a hell of a lot of work, but I always really appreciated doing it because it's it's given me the opportunity to like learn a lot of stuff and then I learn from the people's mistakes and stuff, which is really cool. And, you know, like inspire people. And I think that's a really good side of it. Um, 
But when I was sailing with my friends called Mandy and Alex, they they do YouTube sailing videos. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we did, I think this was like a few years ago, we sailed from like Cadiz to the Canaries. And we had a great time, but I don't take photos. I'm not really... I don't pay attention to the small details. I just enjoy it. I just enjoy an experience and I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was fun. Like, cool. I'm not the type of person that would like reminisce much like that. But then when I watched their videos, I was like, that's actually amazing. Like if I forget how cool that was, I can just go back and rewatch it. And that's like a really, really nice side of it, which yeah. I never really considered yeah. before. So no, I, I mean, get it from that point of view. Yeah. we. I mean, we watched some of last year's videos even now just to, just occasionally we'll have a watch back on what we did last year and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, yeah. I think social media is great for that as well. Like Instagram, um, we only sort of discovered it about two years ago. But just to flick back to your Instagram feed, it's just, it's just those memories, that, yeah, the whole adventure. <clears throat> I mean, when particularly when you've had a rough time, you look back to your po- always positive, happy, smiley Instagram feed, you're like, oh, my life's great, really. <laughs> it's false. that falseness of like you know because nobody puts up the rubbishy stuff on instagram we do on youtube mm. yeah but instagram is that false reality isn't it of like you know it's also lovely. and it does i mean well not so much youtube but well youtube and social media in general does uh link you up with people we've met so many people oh, yeah. through it youtube uh, not youtube through social media and it does bring the occasional benefits. I mean, we've, we've been appointed as ambassadors for Raymarine UK, so we're getting some kit sent out to us to upgrade what we've already got, uh, which nice. is on loan for a couple of years, and we show their equipment, which I've always been a fan of anyway, so it's not like I'm selling my soul or anything. And we get the equipment. You know, we, It's on loan for two years, but after two years, it's ours. So It's, it's a good loan. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's a good, good terms. And, and, and the more sort of you grow, the more you might get other bits and pieces. Like you know, maybe we'll get some sales one day. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it's cool. From I think the social, the social interaction side of it is great. Like yes, it um, is, yeah. for me, you know, like whenever when we've been cruising over the last couple of years, or we've done passages, turned up in anchorages, and we've just met, been able to meet other people straight away. And it's just like, okay, I've got somebody I can have a drink with there, a drink with there, a drink with there. Like, that's actually really cool. Whereas if you didn't do stuff on social media, um, you know, maybe you just have to go and sit in the bar and hope that somebody looks at you and smiles. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's good from that side of it. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. And says we're introverts. What it means about it is we do love socializing. We love the fact that, you know, we've made so many friends through this life and it's, it's great for us as well because as police officers all your friends are police officers because the only people who weren't at work when you weren't at work were police officers and you just end up talking police stuff with police people so it's been real nice to get away from that and that nobody cares really what we did and all our friends are it's boats adventures we talk about and we do love socializing and i think part of the reason we want a good winter community is we love socializing you know, it can be lonely when you're on through the summer when you're just sort of constantly moving as we've been but I think what we mean by being introverts is we get burnt out by it quite a lot so you know we're not the kind of people to um, be rushing out every five minutes or you know I think we're more comfortable in front of the camera but it's certainly it's been an experience for us to sort of you know, put ourselves out there and, and be 
open and, and friendly as our natural. The, the whole introvert extrovert thing is something I learned about as a as a management thing at work, and um, you can do tests to sort of work out your introvert extrovertness. And, and, it, and the, but the big thing is like extroverts get their power from other people, so they're like solar panels. Introverts enjoy other people, but they do get the batteries run down, so they need to go in a cupboard and recharge after a while. <laughs> and that's a prime example of introvert and extrovert. Yeah, and no, that's taken extreme. And we definitely are introverts because if we we couldn't go out and socialize every night, we'd be a bit like, all right, just give us a break now. Whereas a real extrovert, if they had to stay in one night they might be a bit like oh, what am i doing tonight and it is a, it's a, it's quite a it's something i've sort of had a nerdy interest in um introvert extrovert because it is quite yeah. a big personality trait thing that makes a big difference introvert who plays the bagpipes hates well that's right yeah i mean you know, <laughs> I, I don't like a lot of attention and yet i play bagpipes when i'm on youtube so yeah you can't, you can't play bagpipes and not be noticed it kind of uh yeah, it kind of clashes. Bit of an oxymoron, that one. Yeah, yeah, it's quite complicated, but it is. But we are actually introverts. I mean, I don't know what the official definitions are, and I'll probably get it wrong if I guessed it. I mean, if that's what it actually is, then yeah, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have gone with that at all. I'd just always assume like an introvert is somebody who just wants to, like, not talk that much in a group, or they're just more in. You know, they're just more comfortable with their own thoughts, and then an extrovert is somebody who just wants to socialize more and learn more and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe like there's a psychological reason behind the reasons they behave that way, and that's what actually makes them an introvert or an extrovert. Sounds like that's more there's the case. A lot, there's, a, there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, introverts yeah. do like to socialize um, and can be very happy socializing, but they tend to then want a bit of a recharge afterwards, whereas an extrovert may yeah. not. But yeah, it's quite a whole a whole thing. Is there an online test you can do? Do you know like you can do that if you get these twenty questions right, you're in the top two percent of the planet. But like, is, is there you, one of these for extrovert introvert? Have you seen those on Facebook? It. I always yeah, win yeah, all yeah. of them. I'm not that if, smart, so the questions are wrong. Clearly, if you uh, if you Google Myers Briggs personality test, what is it? Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. Right. Yeah. And you can take that test and that'll give you a four-letter code as to your um, personality type, which is like INTJ or ISTJ and that sort of thing. And those mean different things. And they are very accurate. MBJS. Yes. No, that's... So it's Myers-Briggs. M-Y-E-R-S, Myers, and then Briggs, B-R-I-G-G-S. Myers-Briggs test. And is this a free one or am I going to have to contribute? I think you'll find free ones on there, yeah. Right, I'll go for free. Yeah, I'll definitely. Sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds better than paying. Right, what's the plan then? What are you thinking now? You're in Montenegro. Have you got anything confirmed? Because, I mean, we're basically at the end of the season, or for where you guys are, because you're quite way into the Med. Probably got another month of decent weather and reasonably calm seas. So what's the plan after that? Um, so uh, the rest of this month, um, Kate's going to fly home next week just for a quick visit back home. Um, and when she gets back, we've we've still got some work to finish on the deck before the weather really turns. Because we, we said we'd never have a teak deck again and then we fell in love with the Swedish boat. So we were a bit screwed on that. <laughs> so we, we did, we've recorked the whole deck. We've still got all the screw heads to do. So we'll do as much of that as we can the end of the month we try and have a couple of adventures maybe down the coast as well just before the season closes um and then we winter in montenegro 
And like I say, we're, we're not sure about next year, really. Uh, one right. place that we w- really want to re- revisit is the Aeolian Islands, uh, the volcanic islands just north of Sicily. Yep. So we're not too far from that. But yeah, we, we honestly, next next summer is is not written yet. Um, mm. Various possibilities in our minds, but we're not sort of confirmed on any of them. We don't really want to commit to anything. We just want to, we, we could stay in the Med and go further east. We could go back and do the things we missed on the way across. And, you know, one consideration with the heat is to get back to more northern latitudes, but that would take more than a season to do. So we've got at least another season sort of starting in the Med at least, and then we'll work it out over the winter. And we'd have to, if we yeah. go back to northern latitudes, we'd have to go back to Orca Alley. Which... Yeah, yeah, we don't really want to do that. Um, yeah. It was enough of a stress last yeah. year, so it's been it's been nice this yeah, season so, not to have to worry about getting on it, but but equally we might you know we've we've considered going out to the Azores and then back north or out to the Azores and across. We we just don't know at the moment. That's, we kind of like I say we've rushed this season too much. We'd hope to spend a bit more time in the Med, but the heat was a bit too much. We rushed too much, so now we've got to decide: do we want to slow down but still have the heat and and find you know ways to acclimatize or do we want to go somewhere else whether that be the caribbean northern europe or whatever we're, we're you know we're, we're, yeah. we're definitely not quitting but we may change our cruising ground we haven't yeah fully worked through it ourselves yet because i mean the funny thing is um which is all sort of intertwined is retirement's a funny thing as well you spend 30 years making life-changing and sometimes life and death decisions and then all of a sudden you're like the only decision yeah. you got to make is what am I going to do today? And so we're sort of finding our slot a little bit still. So um, listen, guys, what uh, what is the best way for people to follow you on like social media and YouTube? What are your channel names and stuff like that? Okay, well, we're we're following Trepid Bear or one word on all the channels. Basically, Instagram is our sort of preferred non-moving platform and obviously youtube is where our videos are yeah but we are on facebook as well we are on facebook as and well. i've also yeah. started a twitter account and oh god yeah you're on all of them um, what's the other one tiktok, TikTok. everything's following oh, twitter and tiktok the these are the worst two places in the world twitter yeah, and tiktok yeah. <laughs> you've yeah. just got I've crazy people did... and man- mental people <laughs> yeah. yeah we're just venturing into them but they're not very big for us at the moment and we're not crazy enough to put up a crazy tiktok video we just fall down a wormhole of watching them <laughs> instagram and youtube <laughs> YouTube are much more up to uh, sorry instagram and facebook are much more up to date youtube's usually Stream. a few months behind because it yeah. takes me that long to get the videos done that's right thanks so much for that it's good good of you to like share your story and how you got where you are and uh yeah best oh, of luck with the uh with the journey yeah thanks Andy. Cheers, appreciate thanks. it